Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, depending on where you are, what time you are listening to this or watching this. My name is Winston, and today is our very first guest for season two. I'm super excited to have him on, super excited that he agreed to be on, uh, Mr. Vladimir Blagojevich. Vlad, Vlad, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. It's really, uh, I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Thanks for being on. Um, so Vlad, before we actually get into um, the meat of this interview, just to speak some more about you. So you've held positions as a account manager and you founded and co-founded several companies for the last couple of years. And I would even go as far as to say that at least in my opinion, you you are one of the top B2B marketing influencers on LinkedIn. Definitely a rising star on the platform, as a lot of people who are active there in that space will definitely see. And also today you are co-founder with Andre, who we had for this first season of FullFunnel.io. That's that's right. So before before we even begin. I'd love for you to share a bit of your story, your background, you know, starting out in your career to where it's led you today as, as co-founder of Full Funnel. All right. So very briefly, uh, this is, I think, my third con- country where I live and my fourth career. And so I changed a little bit, uh, searching really for what makes me let me put it like that and so I started really as a software engineer and was building products and I always liked building things and creating stuff but while we were creating really cool products I always felt a little bit removed from the end customer right and uh, the next thing that I did I ended up uh, consulting software companies instead of building software products working as a consultant to software companies and that's how I ended up in sales because I was sent out to sell our services. And you know, I never thought of myself as somebody who can be a commercial person because I was always this like intellectual engineer. And actually, uh, I realized when that I was looking at it all wrong. And once I realized that selling is really about understanding the customer and about helping them, I suddenly became a top performer, although, although I was completely not in sales, but I started selling more than my sales colleague back there. And I realized, well, maybe that's something that I would like to do more. So I've been selling in marketing B2B tech and services since 2006. Um, I've always kind of liked marketing because it's just in the middle between sales and there's some technology, technology, there's a lot of writing, there's some psychology, all the things that always interest me. So I'm really happy I ended up there. Uh, and so, like I, like you mentioned, started several companies and ended up uh, back in 2020 in the middle of the COVID lockdown. I uh, got a call from one of the accelerators, startup accelerators that I worked with to help out something like 25 companies who were struggling to get leads because it was in the middle of lockdown and all the trade shows and everything was canceled. And I realized, okay, if I really wanted to do this at this scale for all, all those companies, I needed some help. And of course, the first person I thought of was Andre. That's how we came together. We created a program of eight weeks, 80 module. It was like a, a comprehensive program. We took all these startups through. And that's when we realized, okay, we are really working well together and, and we wanted to uh, start Full Funnel. Yeah. 
it's that's an interesting transition though from from software engineer to sales I, i don't think i've ever heard that before in my entire life because well based on my experience working with software engineers they they want to stay as far away from talking to customers as possible like they don't want any interaction or engagement with customers they just want to show up for work you know do their coding build whatever they're building and you know they they're all right in 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 their um space doing that but in terms of that that fit early on i guess you could call it product market fit how how did you really figure that out early on was that just based on your sales experience was that something you had to learn additionally how did you figure that out what do you mean like in our company uh, yeah in full market fit? yeah okay uh well truth be told we didn't start from zero we were both doing consulting individually and we came together to do let's say full funnel b2b marketing for companies b2b tech companies that have acvs uh, annual contract value anywhere let's say between 2030k and and 35 3500k euros or dollars and so we've already been working with uh, our own icps if you like and and there was a product market fit so to be honest it wasn't that difficult to reach on the one hand on the other hand we did change the business model a little bit so we were you know just focusing on giving high impact advice and you know consulting instead of doing you know previously did some execution as well so we changed the business model so there was Mm, some iteration on the how to position the product how to productize our services how to you know position also the topic so there was some searching but you know a little bit less than what you would have let's say in a b2b saas company the the whole idea or premise of this podcast is educating marketers at on how to prove their value at a c suite level right just at a high high level what are ceos looking for based on your experience from marketing in terms of business value and what can marketing and how can marketing demonstrate that value yeah I, to truth be told i think there are actually different kinds of uh, ceos so let's say ideally the ceo is looking for revenue contribution so they're looking for you to help them drive let's say inbound revenue or otherwise impact the revenue impact maybe for example accelerating deals uh, getting generating more opportunities uh, you know ha- having better clients you know landing better opportunities but really i think that there are a lot of ceos unfortunately who have the other way to look at marketing so I know depending on the industry depending on the maturity you will have some CEOs who just believe okay you need to get me leads so this is what the role of marketing is to drive leads and we all know that that doesn't work that well especially if you're into the very more complex let's say sales with you know higher deal sizes that that kind of approach where you're driving MQLs when there is no sales intent is not really the best way to help the business and you know after a while you know that may also become clear to the ceo and then the value of marketing let's say in their eye may go down although they were the one who are kind of pressuring you to deliver on that kpi and then there is a third uh, kind of ceos just based on my experience that 
are kind of uh, disillusioned with marketing. So they had these ideas about what marketing could be doing. They were trying different things. They didn't really do it the right way. And then uh, they actually kind of got disillusioned. They say, okay, marketing really what it is, it's just to create a bit of awareness, you know, whatever, do a newsletter, do, organize an event. And the worst thing, that's the worst position to be in because you become an order taker. You just like basically say, okay, whatever the sales or the executive team needs, you know, uh, materials for the trade show, nice presentation, you know, an event, uh, whatever you need. So that's really the worst position to be in. And ideally where you want to be at is working with a CEO who understands the value that marketing can create, but also understand that it's not the same as sales. It, they, under, they should understand that it's a long-term gain. They should understand that it's also very important to understand your customers, to define the ICP, to have a good positioning uh, in your market, etc., and understand actually how strategic marketing needs to be in order to deliver on that value. All right. Right. Those are good responses. I, I want to focus on the third group mostly, the third CEO that you mentioned, because I I would say, you know, probably I'm wrong. Um, but you know, based on my conversation with marketers, most tend to fall within that bracket in terms of working with that type of CEO, um, where there are order takers, as you mentioned. What do you think they can do? Let's say we're drawing a line in the sun today. And we're looking at the next 90 to 180 days, so three to six months. What could marketers do to kind of shift the perception of, well, marketing is just the, the as I, I interviewed Andrew, um, Andrew Smith, and he put it perfectly, the arts and craft department, to shift in that, that perception to more being you know, value added and, and an asset to the organization, you know, more revenue drivers. How, how, what can they do in terms of some tactical tips and strategies to, to, to achieve that? Yeah. Well, the easiest thing that it can do is uh, find a different company. That's going to be the probably the easiest step for them. Join a growing team where the CEO has a different mindset, where the team has already proven that and, and go from there. Uh, but that aside, <laughs> not a lot of people are able to do that. No, and the reason that I'm saying it's simply because sometimes it is going to be very hard to change their mind. Whatever you say, you know, won't have that, let's say, uh, impact, won't have that. Mm, they, they, they simply won't believe you, right? And there is nothing you can do quickly and like quick and dirty that you can use to prove the value because like I mentioned, the only way that you can really make an impact is by dive, doing a deep dive, understanding the customers, developing the ICP, and then developing a strategy to sell and market the way that your buyers are buying. Now, having said all of that, um, let's say that you do get an opportunity, you know, get some space uh, to, but not a lot, but maybe you somehow you know, you, 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 you come up with a good case study and you somehow get uh, to convince uh, your executive team to give you a chance, to give you a bit of, bit of time, bit of budget, not a lot of budget, you don't need a lot. So the first thing that I would do is uh, going back to the basics, 
I would go and study the CRM to understand what kind of segments are our best fit segments. And then I would try to dive deeper. And and by that, I mean like which which of them are driving the most revenue, where are the customers staying the longer, spending the most like LTV, um, what is what where do we have the best case studies and things like that uh then of course also talk to talk talk about this with sales get their input on it and with sales i would also ask them like practical questions like for example you know let's let's look at the five fastest deals that you won or the five largest deals or the five largest deals that you lost and to really dive deeper and, and try to start to understand let's say for the from the sales perspective what were the commonalities between those best versus the worst customers, right? So trying to get a picture. Then in the next step, what I would try to do is, if you have the opportunity, sometimes that's really difficult, but um, if you have the opportunity to go and interview customers, and this is a blocking point that I see in every company that we speak to, like like people don't want to do that. And this is really a problem because if you don't talk, if you're not talking to your customers, if you don't have that communication line, um, just think about the following. I think it's something like 91% of customers who are about to churn are not going to say anything. Right. They're not going to complain proactively. So while a lot of B2B companies think, well, companies in general think that customers are satisfied by default and no news is good news. <laughs> That's not really true. So, I mean, to just start talking, I mean, having these open communication lines at the, at the worst case scenario is going to help you save, potentially save churn. But um, at the same time, you can talk to your customers. Now, maybe, again, you have these account executives or account managers who are very protective of their customers. Everybody in the company considers this to be a no-no. Oh, we don't want to bother them. We don't want to, you know, take their time. So there are other opportunities to talk to talk with your customers. Sometimes, if there is a customer event, even if there is a trade show, maybe you don't get to talk to customers. Maybe you get to talk to people from the industry, right? To let's say people who fit the profile of your potential customer. You are connected to some of them on LinkedIn. You can have some chats with them on LinkedIn, etc. So there are always some opportunities that you can find out to talk to them, and so. That would be the next step to really dive deeper into the way how they're actually buying a product like yours, who is involved, what is important to them, what are the purchase criteria, what are the objections. And then, of course, if you're talking to your own customer, like why did they choose you over your competitor, what kind of value are you getting, and all of these things. So the vast majority of marketers are going to skip that step. And this is actually, if you look at the vast majority of marketing teams who are underperforming, this is probably the re- number one reason why they're underperforming. So uh, skip that step at your own peril, I would say, right? So that's that would be the first step. In the next step, what I would try to do, given that situation that you described, there's not a lot of trust. You're the order taker. You're the arts and crafts, right? So you, how do you move from there? Uh Provided that you do understand that you have done that basic work, maybe you have a case study that you can use, or maybe you have a possibility to create it, but whatever, I would set up a simple pilot campaign. Uh, 
And by pilot campaign, I mean, I would involve, let's say, 10 accounts. And I'm talking about really small number of accounts that are a good fit. And why? Because there's a lot to learn. There is a lot to uh, validate. Also, you are doing this with like a lot of hypotheses. So this this really will help you validate those hypotheses. And 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 for example, like I mentioned, if you have somehow refined your positioning for your segment uh, or your value proposition, this is a pro- opportunity to validate that. You're like learning how to maybe, you know, figure out what this account needs, how to talk to them, what content to create for them, whatever you are going to be able again to get. Like the problem with most campaigns, how they are started, they are started like with the big upfront, uh, you know, planning, working, and then, you know, a lot of money and time goes into creation of the campaign and then you launch a campaign and then you get a, a binary response. Basically, it's working, it's not working. Unfortunately, if it's set up the way that most campaigns are set up, it's not going to work. And you're, the, the worst thing is that you're A, not, not, you won't know why it's not working, and B, you're going to have used up all the goodwill all the goodwill that you have internally. So one thing you shouldn't do, you shouldn't go there and lobby, you know, for them to let you do demand generation, let you do ABM or whatever, right? And then, you know, maybe if you manage to get that, then set up such a big campaign. No, Uh, try to get some buy-in to set up this pilot. Be very clear about what the goal is. Show, for example, okay, why why are you selecting this target segment? Well, show them your analysis that you made of, of your uh, best target account, well, of your, of your CRM and your best deals. Uh, show them, the let's say, the ICP that you have created and how you've created based on the work that you've done with sales and, and speaking to your customers and show them exactly what you plan to do within that pilot and also set up expectations straight because uh, let's just be honest, like there is no magic hack. There is no magic bullet that will shorten your sales cycle. Well, sales cycle potentially, yes, but buying buying cycle, let's say the buying process, it is what it is. It is complex. If it's complex, if there are multiple people involved, if you're talking about higher value deals, then definitely uh, you're going to be... Uh, we have to be very clear about the fact that you won't be able to generate sales. You won't be able to guarantee that you can generate sales opportunities, uh, let's say, in, in, in a month or two, if your sales cycle is, let's say, nine months, right? So Great. just be very clear about that. However, what you can do and what you can do relatively quickly is you can start having conversations with the right type of buyers in the right type of accounts, you can start having insights. You know, just to be very concrete, for example, you know, when I did a campaign like that on my own, you know, as as at the at the very beginning when we started, I spoke to a bunch of CEOs and I start, for example, for one of them, I just figured out that you know it was the same time, so no trade shows, right? So. I just figured out that like 80% of their business was coming through trade shows. And when I asked him, okay, so what is like, what is, what, what is your plan to deal with that? And they, he said, well, you know what? We are actually creating an inbound marketing strategy. We are basically creating an online marketing strategy right now. 
and looking to figure that out. So like having that information for me, uh, you know, about a target account, it's like, I know that they're in the market right now. I know, I know exactly how to position our services because they, because they told me. So going back to that pilot campaign, I would focus that pilot campaign on generating those conversations, uh, validating your, let's say, hypothesis, and also starting to get this key insight about those target accounts. And, you know, very often, actually, it does happen that there is a, either a, let's say, potential opportunity, an opportunity that will develop within the next couple of months. And so this is completely different. Like we are now starting to talk about, you know, potential deals of whatever the, the deal size is versus, I don't know, how many people have opened your email or, you know, clicks or whatever visits or even MQLs that never convert to uh, actual sales opportunity. It's like we're talking about very different things. And I, I believe that even in a small pilot campaign, you can build enough credibility uh, to at least get a, a yes to keep on doing that and until you start really uh, generating some revenue results from that as well. Right. Excellent. Excellent breakdown. I love that. Um, you mentioned two things, which just now in terms of that, that revenue generation um, at the end of the pilot program, hopefully. And you also mentioned in terms of companies with long sales cycles, like nine months, for example. But more than likely, throughout that entire process, that pilot program, the CEO is going to want to see some sort of indication um, that this is actually working. So outside of revenue or even sales opportunities, because that might take a while to be generated, what other indicators, KPIs, metrics can they track during that, the early stages of that pilot program to really show that this is something that's viable and, and worth, you know, potentially it will be successful, hopefully? Absolutely. No, this is, um, this is a great question. Uh, and I have a kind of a twofold answer to that. So I think just speaking directly to the question about metrics, um there is a number of things that you can be tracking and really it is about how much you're engaging those accounts those target accounts how many buyers you're actually engaging what they call account penetration um you can really be looking at different things so for example uh, you you can be looking at the visits of those accounts on your website, looking at the key pages, suddenly like accounts who were previously not aware of what you're doing are potentially like checking you out. And what I always advise at the beginning is to really focus on generating buyer conversations or real conversation, even though there may not be sales conversations, conversations with buyers, because that's, some, that's another very good metric to, to track. For example, I don't know, I'll, I'll give you a concrete example. So with a, with a client, we ran a pilot exactly like that. And within something like, you know, from let's say the actual start of the campaign of the pilot campaign, you know, I think after two or three weeks, they actually booked calls with 11 out of 30 target accounts. And with, you know, in some cases, multiple buyers, in some cases, one buyer, and in every case, they learned, I mean, they learned 
an amazing amount of like insight and of course conversations went in the into the right direction and you know some of those actually turned into an opportunity but even without that i'm sure that if you get this level of uh, conversation and you can involve sales at that at that time and sales is going there and you know after maybe having tried to reach out i don't know to 100 companies and having whatever 2 or 3% response rate and maybe booking a call or not right suddenly with you know targeting 10 15 accounts uh, having conversation with 30% of them uh, relevant conversation about you know what kind of solution what kind of challenges are they having right now as it relates to your product what kind of priorities do they have what are they using right now is that like are they happy with that all of these things that you want to know and realizing that okay um, sometimes you may be lucky right and you may be at the right time and sometimes you may you know realize that okay this is something that may become an opportunity within another year or so which is also something you want to know now right there is i said it's a twofold answer and i said you might be lucky and there is there are things and that's why that's the second part of the answer is there are things you can do to stack the odds in your favor and uh what 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 is that well it's looking at just to use a precise term, a first-party intent data, which really just means data that you own about your target accounts. So what could that be? Uh, if you have, and there are now free tools, I believe like Clearbit has the weekly report. Uh, there are other tools with, even just with a free version, if you can install, install that on your website, you can start seeing which accounts are visiting your website, which pages they're visiting, how long they're spending on there. Just, just that, that, that would be a simple one, right? Um, to start understanding, okay, there may be some interest. Like imagine just if somebody from whatever uh, example, example company, example target account, they spent like two hours, they check the key product pages, they check the pricing page, for example. Well, that's certainly an indication. That's, that's, that's a signal of intent, you know, that they're definitely... So picking those accounts, um, you know, installing that is probably the easiest thing you can do and it's free. Um, but also looking at, you know, other stuff. You, you do have maybe some MQLs. Maybe some of them are actually engaging, you know, beyond the download or you know, joining that webinar, maybe some of them have joined multiple webinars, um, but you still weren't able to activate them. Well, perhaps, you know, when you dive deeper and, and you contact those buyers one by one, you might be able to activate. And so this could be another way to kind of like get the intent. And the third way would be to also simply look at your pipeline. And uh, maybe you had contacts with companies previously, but the deal was kind of stalled you know they kind of stopped responding um, maybe they are just like you know in a different stage they may be just waiting for a new person to join who knows what is happening but you might also might also include those let's say stalled or uh, frozen deals uh, uh, from your pipeline into into your uh, into your target accounts and you know often this is more difficult, depending on the structure of the company, this is more difficult to pull, pull, uh, pull off. But I think 
the, the, probably the biggest opportunities in many companies is existing accounts. And this is uh, just so sometimes, like, for example, I, we've been uh, speaking to a company and they have, uh, they want to target more, they want to focus more on the enterprise segment, as they call it. And they have also like a self-service free trial. Well, not just free trial, but people can also purchase the product. And they actually have a lot of accounts who only have a few licenses, right? right. So they're existing accounts and they only have a few licenses. Well, I would definitely want to I, I would definitely want to speak to those people, understand uh, the use case and why basically they are not buying more, uh, where we know where we know that they would have much more value if they would involve other people, et cetera, et cetera. So just, uh, just a couple of examples, how to stack the odds in your favor. All right. Awesome. And I have two questions because I, I know someone is going to be listening to this and is going to ask these two questions in their, in their mind. First of all, you mentioned Clearbit. Um, which other intent data software do you recommend or, or is out there that you're aware of? That's good. Yeah, so basically, like I mentioned, the best, best uh, intent data, let's say, is your own, right? As they call it, the first party. And why is that? Because people buy from people they know, like, and trust, right? So if there is already the awareness, uh, if they know who you are, if they know how you're different and worth buying, the chance of them being interested is going to be much, you know, it's going to be so much easier for you to activate. And the problem with, and there are other kinds of like intent data, there's the so-called second party and third party. Second party, for example, G2. G2 has, is a directory of SaaS companies, SaaS products, and they know who is searching for what kind of solution. And they can sell it this data. Well, they are selling this data, right? You can buy this data from them. And this is really cool. Of course, you should know that, of course, two things will happen. Other people will have other companies or competitors will have access to the same data. Um, and then second, important to kind of mention this because if you are just coming into their consideration set or on their radar, after a long process, almost at the end, right? When they're actually buying, right. you may be too late to the table, right? You may be just getting too late to the table because especially for larger deals, you know, for smaller deals, you may win a smaller deal like that for sure. And you may say, okay, you know, my system is actually working, but my strategy is working. My approach is working, but really what you should be focusing on is on those larger deals and those larger deals. If your competitors have been, you know, in conversation with those buyers and influencing the buying committee over the last six months or whatever, you're going to be, you're going to have a much harder time closing those deals, uh, which you can get based on intent data or even just like capturing the amount via search or other, other, other intent, higher intent channels. So that would be G2. So they can give you data about, you know, who is looking for category, who is maybe even looking at your solution or your compet direct competitors, uh, this kind of information. And then there are like third party, like Bambora, for example, is an example of a third party, which basically aggregates. They have partnerships with a lot of websites. And again, they know what kind of information people are looking on those websites. So it's like third party because they, they, they aggregate the information 
for you, but pay attention uh, in 10 data, uh, start with your own. That's, I, I believe, where you will make the most chance. Uh, but it also means that you might have to, you know, that only works if you're doing some sort of demand gen, some sort of awareness creation. Um, otherwise, you know, you, you're going to have a very limited number of accounts uh, who are actually, for example, visiting your website, engaging with your brand in other ways. Right. And, and let, me, let me ask a question since you, you brought it up. So what what you what you just mentioned is is in terms of that that brand awareness. So how how can marketers actually translate that that brand awareness into sales opportunities? I mean, I, I'm almost sure you you touched on it somewhere in your in your response. But if you have something like a more direct response for that question, no, because, absolutely. Yeah, it's a great question. It's a great question. Um, I mean, let's just. Okay, also be clear what, what is brand awareness? Like in this context, like just, just to, to nail it, I think it's important. I think it's simply so you, you want your, I mean, being, you want your target buyers, not just any, but you want your target buyers to be aware of how you can help them, really, how you're different and worth buying. So it's not just enough for them to be aware of the brand, but really like, okay, aware of the value proposition in other words right so right. just to kind of like nail that and what what are what are you all about like what, how are you relevant to them now how do you turn that well i, I think the, the the missing piece very often is demand generation and people want i mean again it depends it depends how they got to know you. Are they in the buying process? If they're in the buying process, they're considering a solution, they discovered you and you're in the consideration set. Okay, that's a different story. I, I, I assume you're not asking about that case. I assume you're asking about a case where they're not actively buying, they're aware of you as a player in that category, a player in that market. So basically, uh, you, you have only two choices. You, you can try to generate the demand. How do you generate the demand? Very simply, by showing the solution and how you know, the solution can help them. I mean, to put it very simply, and that doesn't mean uh, sending everybody to cold, well, even brand aware audience to a landing page and asking them to book a demo, but really making them aware, for example, through case studies, right? Just as an example, like educating them about, okay, so what are the other people who are in a role like yours? And I'm not talking about those typical two-page case studies that actually just like each case study looks like the other one and that's not very credible but really like helping the buyer understand really like picture okay if we've done this so first of all what does it take to do this what are the concrete results that we could expect who would have to be involved like really getting the the whole the whole um picture and of course you know understanding the benefits of implementing that solution and, and all of that so uh, and demand, you know, it may take may take some time to generate that demand and, and drive it. Uh, and again, even if you have generated it, maybe it's still not the right time. And so the second part of the, the answer is you, you have to have some sort of an always-on nurturing uh, program in place. And, you know, I know it sounds like a, a mouthful. And what is that? And is this like email sequences? What I really simply mean is just consistently, frequently being where your buyers are, 
and you know sharing sharing really content that solves that problem that tells stories about you know people who are like them or companies who are like them in other words in other in other words like uh, client stories uh, uh, showing your basically expertise and credibility and being there uh, and you know from time to time you know when the time is right to me you know re-engage if the time wasn't right there and so the demand generation may take some time and usually it does if we just look at our own pipeline the majority of uh let let me put it on under quotes for people who are listening uh it there are sales ready leads but if you really look at their journey as far as we can tell most of them have been engaged with us for at least you know six months right. uh, they've been you know some of their colleagues may be in our community others may be on our newsletter some of them may be you know you know listening to a webinar uh, etc so that's because we have these activities all the time and you know pe- that's that's how you kind of nurture your your target market yeah and and just a follow-up to that from the the demand um generation aspect how how would you recommend aligning marketing and sales to work together on that because yes there's a marketing aspect um early on in terms of that that branding aspect you know and that always on nurturing as as you say but how about that alignment to to really get sales involved in the entire process because these won't close because marketing is always nurturing and always putting content out there if that's what we're using okay so i mean there is definitely i think marketing can definitely drive inbound revenue they can drive inbound opportunities you know absolutely Marketing can also capture demand with things like, you know, search, high intent channels, and maybe demand they have generated. But you asked such a you asked very good questions, by the way. <laughs> this is a really, really important one because actually, if that's all you do, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. And what I mean by that is that you asked concrete questions. So let me answer it concretely. Uh, how can you align? Well, first of all, you need to align on the target market. That's the most important thing. Right? Mm-hmm. We should be looking at the same segments. We should be, even at a, at a certain moment, looking at the same accounts. If you're doing something account-based, uh, and it's just amazing how, how many companies just miss that most probably most important thing. We should also be aligned somehow on the, the value proposition for those. But all, all of that aside, very concretely, how can sales evolve? Well, what happens is that as you are um, nurturing, as you're creating that content, and I'm talking about, let's take a very concrete example. Let's say LinkedIn. You're, I'm not talking about dropping links to your blog. I'm talking about creating content for native consum- consumption or uh, basically just you know linkedin posts native linkedin posts or you know whatever other social or communities you might be using and so you are where your buyers are and you're creating content they can consume there they don't have to click somewhere and go no they can consume it there that's how you're actually nurturing them and driving the demand but then what happens is some of them will engage some of them will engage, and that's not buying intent. Somebody liking your LinkedIn post is definitely not the buying intent uh, or commenting or, or, or whatever. But after a while, you know, people, people are engaging. You can 
turn that engagement into a conversation. And that's usually what sales is really good at. So if you're working with sales and helping them, for example, with content so that it can stand out on LinkedIn and not just be the yet another vendor, like sending these cold like messages like everybody else and never, never getting any responses. What you can be doing is by sharing content and you will be creating uh, engagement triggers. And why do I call them triggers? Because you can actually use them as triggers to start conversation. And people, I think this is the best kept secret. It's like, it's, you normally, I mean, if you do it right, and it's, it's not rocket science, uh, if you're reaching out to people to start a non-sales conversation, at the beginning, it's a non-sales conversation, you can have response rates of more than 50%. So we are not talking anymore about, you know, a couple of percent that you have on cold outreach, or maybe even under 1%, which a lot of people unfortunately have. I'm talking about like more than half of people that you're actually reaching out to uh, will engage with you in a conversation. Two problems with that, you know, uh, if 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 you don't do it right and you just treat, like I mentioned, like a like uh, them to joining a webinar, whatever it is, as a buying intent and immediately trying to book the demo. No, that won't work. <laughs> of course, right? This is like meeting somebody for the first time. Let's say in a bar or in, on an event or whatever, on a wedding, doesn't really matter, and asking their hand in marriage, right? It just like, of course, doesn't, doesn't make sense. So what you're doing, is like the appropriate action. So you may just, you know, thank them for whatever their engagement. You, you may uh, try to ask them questions about, you know, whatever. I posted about ABM. And uh, I can ask them about, you know, is this something that are implemented? Do they have an ABM motion or what are the priorities? We can start conversations about that. And, you know, uh, another thing, if they're not engaged, they, they may be engaging, you have a conversation, may fizzle out, but that's another part of the piece of the puzzle is, is knowing that you don't have to close it right away. Uh, you know, you have just, there is, there was this touch point, there was this conversation, you may have learned something, there was a kind of a, a beginning of the relationship built there, and there will always be, new, so they are a bit closer, there is more brand awareness, there is more also personal brand awareness, etc. So they're much more likely to engage with your future content, or, you know, you may get them in another way at a, at a later stage with a different initiative. You may, I don't know, invite them to be a guest on your podcast or invite them to an event that you're organizing or, you know, whatever <clears throat> other thing that you're going to launch from within your marketing to start a conversation again. And so sales can be involved very much uh, in that process and needs to be involved actually for, for it to work. Yeah, awesome. And I, I love that the first thing you mentioned was marketing and sales should align on, on the ICP. And, and here's why I say that, because something happened to me um, last week where someone from a B2B tech company, I think they offer um, data security and cloud, cloud hosting um, services. So that person reached out to me called on, on LinkedIn I read the message initially, didn't respond at the time, but later on, I decided to, to respond when they reached out again. 
And I said to the person, hey, based on what you're selling, I, I don't think I'm the right person or, or, the, or the right fit for what you're offering. And, you know, I, I led with that, that conversation and the person responded to say, hey, Winston, thanks for letting me know. Actually, we're using a third party, you know, service or, or provider to do LinkedIn outreach for us. And it just shows a clear example of how you can end up wasting a lot of money trying to reach out to the wrong person because, well, I'm, I, I don't know their, their business model, but probably it's a case where they're charging per, per number of outreaches. So probably every mm-hmm. thousand, they charge a set number. And, and that's why you have to be very careful, you know, whether you're a CEO or you're a marketer, to be, be very specific about your ICP, which some, is something I learned from you guys in terms of disqualification criteria and why that's so important. Um, very good stuff. All right. No, I mean, it's it's where it all starts, like right with the ICP and uh, what kind of companies are good companies. Because the worst thing you can you can have is to put all that work and maybe generate whatever a call or or, or an opportunity, only to hear from sales, well, that wasn't really a good fit. That's not really the right match. Your leads are not good, whatever they say. And uh, so then, I mean, you really want to make sure that those those buyers that you are generating one way or another that you are engaging are at least, that's the minimum, the right type of buyers. Yeah, yeah. And you also mentioned something because if those accounts aren't the right fit, then it completely defeats the purpose of what we're trying to um, accomplish based on this conversation, which is how can marketers prove their value and get that buying? So mm. if, it, if you're passing leads to, to sales and it's not a fit, then you're, you're only hurting more than helping your case mm. at the end of the day. Absolutely, absolutely. So Vlad, the, the, the final question I have before I, I allow you to go is, I, I saw a post and I said, I have to ask Vlad about this um, post that he made where you mentioned about the LinkedIn formula um, and post template, but how you actually structured it was how to get buying from external buyers, right? If you're, if you're reaching out to them. But what I want to know is how can marketers, well, first of all, tell us what the LinkedIn formula and post template is so people know what we're talking about. But also, secondly, um, how can marketers use that probably very same approach and template to get internal buying for even the, the pilot program that you mentioned earlier? All right. Uh, so let's go back to the, the, the start. You mentioned the formula, quote unquote. It's a very simple thing, right? Uh, we marketers sometimes <laughs> like to speak of formulas. Basically, what it says is that the way you should, the way you can be writing LinkedIn posts that attract the attention of uh, your buyers is to first pick a topic you want to write about, and a lot goes into that. I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment, and then you pick a post type, and then you start writing. So what, what am I talking about here? So what, first, first of all, the big problem that, that a lot of companies have is that they write content that nobody reads. Right. And they write irrelevant content or maybe superficial content. So the first thing you want to make sure is that you're writing on the topics that are relevant to your buyer. So how can marketing help 
uh, sales, how can marketing, you know, make sure that um, their content is actually going to make an impact? Well, by creating what we call a map of informational needs. And it's just a name we gave to a document where you collect all the topics, subtopics, and questions that your buyers have. And I'm not talking about, you know, coming up with personas like try hard, hard Tammy or, you know, the Mary <laughs> marketer, Mary, whatever. I'm talking about real people, real buyers, and, you know, coming up with what kind of questions do they have during sales calls, what kind of questions that are they asking maybe in your forms, you know, when they contact you. Uh, looking at also just simply doing online research, figuring out who they follow, um, who's, you know, what kind of common content do they like, then looking up those influencers, those industry influencers, seeing what kind of questions are they getting on their content, looking at the target communities, figuring out what questions are being asked, asked etc. So the key here is to come up with topics uh, that your buyers are genuinely interested in. So let's say that, you know, we are now talking about marketing and our audience is uh, probably interested in a topic of, you know, how can you use LinkedIn to, uh, I don't know, create brand awareness or how can you use LinkedIn to create uh, six-figure opportunities? Let me put it like that. Well, that's definitely an interesting topic. We know that. So, so the, the, the key is to select the topic or just select a, a question that, that people have. And the question may be, speaking about LinkedIn, is how can I cut through all the noise? There's so many other people sending messages to my buyer. This is an actual insight from one of our surveys. Uh, so uh, I remember somebody said, Everybody else is doing the same as me. They're all sending the same messages. And that's why it's so hard. Like in my market, they say, as if it's not in every market, in my market, they say there are just so many like competitors and they're all just flooding the inbox of my, of my buyers. Well, that is actually a, a question that a lot of salespeople at least have and some marketers as well. And so that can be the topic of the post. And so the next step is to select a uh, post type. And what do I mean by that? Well, after a while, you know, we figured out that there are some types of posts that work better for our audience and everybody's audience is a little bit different. But for example, one post type that works really, really well is a how-to as the most simple one, right? How do you do X? So for example, how do I get my busy decision? How do I cut through the noise and get my busy decision makers to respond to my messages on LinkedIn? Okay, sounds already interesting. Um, what we also like to make it even more concrete for people to make it even more practical is to say, okay, five steps to get your buyers to respond to your messages. People like steps, people like, so this is a post type. I could have attacked this completely differently. I could have written about the biggest mistakes that people make that, um, so uh, here are five mistakes that people make um, that, um, you know, uh, here are the five mistakes that, let, that end up with their messages, with the LinkedIn messages being ignored. 
I cannot think of a nice sentence, but I, I hope you get what I'm what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah. So this would be a completely different type of post. Or, um, for example, it can be a, a third type of post that, and I'll stop there. Could be the the villain post, or where you're like attacking, let's say, a common thing, something that you really disagree. Uh, let's say challenging the status quo, or let's let's say you're attacking in this case um, the the cold outreach. You know the, the 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 unthoughtful generic mass cold outreach. This is a villain that we very often attack. So you could be talking about that and all the bad things that happen when you do that and whatever, right? So that helps because instead of thinking every time about what you should be writing and maybe coming up with some ideas that are not relevant for bias, you always start from uh, the one, uh, let's say, um, uh, the, the topics and, and the questions that your buyers actually are interested in. And two, you're also leveraging, let's say, Every platform is different. Like LinkedIn is different than YouTube is different than Facebook is different than whatever. And so by leveraging the types of posts that work well on LinkedIn, you're again stacking the odds in your favor. And you're also not wasting time again, imagining something yourself and trying to write. You're just applying a formula. Uh, why are these formulas important? Well, they're important because they allow you to do, to do things efficiently and if you cannot, if you are not doing things efficiently, you will never be able to do them consistently. And if you're not doing them consistently, the whole thing will not work. What people expect is doing a bit of an activity, posting on LinkedIn, whatever, connecting to people, and then expecting some sort of a linear result, right? Okay, I'm going to post five posts and I'm going to get whatever, three opportunities. Well, that's not how it works. Unfortunately, it takes some time. Uh, to and, and and patience to be consistent uh, before the results come start coming in. Uh, there is a learning curve. You need to build that trust and authority. Like people need to start trusting you. People need. It takes time before they, you know, they start associating you with that. So and for that you need to be consistent. You cannot be consistent if you're not if you don't have a process. And so this is a simple process that I always advise people to follow. And how can they get the second part of your question? How can they get the buy-in? Well, the best way to get your buy-in, if you're talking about very concretely LinkedIn, uh, is basically do it yourself first. That's the easiest. Uh, lead by example. Uh, I mean, you can try to set up a program and educate and how do they say recruit or appoint <laughs> internal you know champions or whatever right. uh, but if you can do it on a small scope if you can do it yourself and maybe with one more colleague and you can prove uh, that you're you know starting to get good results again going back to my original story about a pilot and start starting to get results you're going to be it's going to be so much easier for you to actually get other people on board yeah i love that I love that. Uh, so, Vlad, um, we've come to the end of, of our conversation. Um, before you go, is there any like final thought, probably something we didn't cover, a question I didn't ask, 
just around the whole theme of, of you know, how to, to get that C-suite wine that you'd love to leave um, the listeners and viewers with? Yeah, I think, like, think of I have two things. Think of the basics always first. Don't skip the basics. There is no magic bullet, silver bullet, hack, you know, tactic channel that is going to open the flood uh, gate of leads, right? So it comes down to solid execution of fundamentals, of understanding who the customers are, on focusing on, on, on the best customers uh, and going first slow, you know, learning first to walk in a pilot before you run. And, you know, another maybe tip is, you know, do what Winston is doing. He's doing a great job in simply connecting with people from his industry. And, you know, I'm sure that he learns a ton. He gets connected to great people who can connect into other people. So this is probably the easiest way for you to start learning about the industry, learning about customers, learning about uh, you know, start to build also your own maybe personal brand or your own uh, brand and and connecting to people. I remember like the first time I did it, um, I I I sent invites to eleven accounts to 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 appear on my podcast, and I had eight of them say yes. So it's almost I I said there is no magic bullets, but it's it's almost like. A, uh, you know, it's almost like magic. It works really well. Of course, that doesn't mean that these will be sales, but it's just an amazing tool to use, connect to people, go out and talk to them. Uh, whether it's a podcast or events, it doesn't really matter. You're in two months, three months, six months, you're going to be at a different place. Yeah. Awesome. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we close out this episode. Vlad, if they, people need to, to reach you, connect with you, where can they find you? I think the best way to find me is on LinkedIn, where I post daily. I'm sure you'll include the link in the, the podcast description so people can just go. Let me know if you heard, you know, if you got to know me through this episode. I would love to then be able to go back can tell this to Winston, uh, who was so kind <laughs> to invite me here. And, uh, you know, we can always chat. I will respond to every message unless it's just a generic cold email <laughs> that is not relevant to me. But otherwise, uh, definitely reach out if you have any questions. Awesome. Vlad, thanks again for being on. It was an excellent conversation. I enjoyed it thoroughly. No, oh, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it myself too. This has been the Revenue Alignment Podcast. Join us next week where we have more amazing content to help you demonstrate, communicate, and prove your value at the C-suite level. I'm Winston, your host, and this is a wrap.